0: Welcome to the X millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for SeedSync.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me here in his tuxedo and formal wear celebrating the huge, huge milestone is the greatest other host, Ty Kulik. How are you today, Ty?
1: Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm doing good. The only time I wear tuxedos when my wife tells me that my, my wedding's going to be more black tie and a little less casual, I, I refuse to wear tuxedos. I'm actually wearing a sweaty run shirt and sweaty running shorts right now.
0: That is formal wear for the ex millennial man. So, by the count, this is episode CCC number 300. Now, we've actually recorded way more than 300 episodes because for a while we did little short, timely ones. This is, nobody listened to those. Everybody listened to this one. So this is officially the 300th new episode, which means if we do 40 or so a year, that's, God, what? uh, Uh,
1: Seven, I would guess, just by doing quick math. Seven times uh 40 would be 280.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, there's your guys' math lesson for the day. (laughs) Yeah. And for this, I wanted to do something a little special, something specifically for us. Basically, we're going to talk about these aren't the best films or our favorite films or anything like that. I mean, even though we do like all these movies, mm-hmm. I wanted to do a film festival. We're going to program a little our own little Sundance or South by Southwest. This is going to be the official virtual X millennial man film festival. And these are films that have mean something to us one way or the other that we will watch all the time. And it gives you an opportunity to to understand what the ex-millennial man well what our world of movies is like and i actually thought a lot about this as an idea i've had for a little while so that's what we're gonna do ty we're gonna go through these movies we're gonna talk about why they are specifically here and then at the very end i'm gonna do a. we're gonna do a wild card because i had five more movies i could not whittle down to one and i'm gonna make you do it
1: yeah it was uh hard for me to whittle it down to five i think i got five that it really, you know, encompass my my life as a mo- movie going and movie watching person. And contrary to what my wife said when I told her this was our three hundredth episode, and a lot of other people, we will not be talking about the movie three hundred because <laughs> no. I uh, despise that movie. So no, no, no.
0: I'm going to play a little bit of the preview of the first movie we're going to talk about here. <laughs>
1: tan lotion is good for me. He was born into privilege. Oh, really, fool? Really? And stood to inherit a fortune. But for 27-year-old Billy Madison, there's just one problem. How could I hand over my company to someone who couldn't even get through school? That's nice. Billy is nice. Not-
0: Ty, we're going to start this off, this festival, with the immortal classic Billy Madison. Now, the reason I brought this up, I think you and I saw this in the theater together.
1: If we didn't, we watched it many, many times when we lived together.
0: I want to repeat this, what I said at the beginning. These are all movies that we like. And as a matter of fact, I think this may be my 12-year-old son's favorite movie ever. (laughs) Because we've shown him these movies. And yes, I'm that great of a parent, but
1: I'm going to show this movie to my 10 year old next week when he's on spring break. So,
0: yeah, we were, I was talking to my son about the cocaine Mets of the 1980s and how, you know, I think Doc Gooden would talk about how he'd see three balls come out of his hand when he pitched. And uh, my son asked me if he saw a penguin at home plate one time. (laughs) So good. And so good. Here's the great thing about Billy Madison it's 129 minutes or it's a one hour and 29 minutes. It gets, it gets I would watch 129 minutes of it, though. It gets you in and out. came out in uh, February of 95, 1995. Let's see. Gene Siskel, RIP. He gave it a bad review, said, Latest entry in America's cinema's investigation of dumb and dumber heroes. Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly said, Even on its own dim bulb terms, this runt of a comedy never locates its central joke. Isn't that Billy Man. the Child? Man doofus doesn't fit the his pint-sized peers or he fits in too well. It actually has a higher tomato. It's a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's oh. actually higher than I thought. But <laughs> me too. Um, why is this incredibly stupid, terrible movie, according to the quote unquote experts? Why is it in our film festival, Tess?
1: Yeah, they were pretty harsh on that movie, too, which is crazy for me to think about. You know, it's just a movie. And first and foremost, I'm an Adam Sandler fan. I like the stuff he usually does now. I don't watch his Netflix movies because I don't think those are very good. I did watch his Netflix special, and that's amazing. I highly recommend people do that. But when I was a kid and I've heard people say it, like, your favorite SNL cast is the cast that you watched growing up. And growing up, I watched the cast that Adam Sandler was on with Chris Farley and David Spade and all those guys. And Sandler was always my favorite. So to give him a leading role of a character that he didn't do on SNL... And this is something that's particularly in his wheelhouse. It is. It's stupid. It's sophomoric humor. It's dumb and ridiculous and absurd, but it's endlessly quotable. It's quick and easy, like you said, less than an hour and a half. You can show it to 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, and 50-year-olds, and they'll all find something to laugh at. Norm MacDonald is amazing in this movie. (laughs) What's his face? Jane Kaczmarek's ex-husband. Bradley Whitford, who's like an accomplished actor is the villain in this movie. He's great. Steve Buscemi is in this movie. Chris Farley is in this movie. There's famous people throughout this movie, and they're barely in it, or they're in it for a scene here or there. They play off character what they normally do. But the movie is, like I said, endlessly quotable. It's funny. You can put it on the background. During this pandemic, my wife and I do our pandemic movie nights, and when I showed her this movie, I was so excited to show her something that I've adored since I was... I guess that movie came out when I was 13 years old that I've adored for over 25 years now. It's, it's just such a funny, silly, good time to have while watching a movie. It
0: definitely is. And I, like I said, I watched it not that long ago. I'm still laughing my ass off. Now, my wife might have yeah. not found it quite as amusing as I did, but I, my, my 12-year-old son did. I think he was 11 at the time. So look, part of it may be that I'm like Billy Madison, a stunted child. And I, I don't know how many times in my life I've told people everybody is now dumber in this room for having heard what you just said but there there's something if again if i was to define you and i and our, this podcast and stuff it's definitely the way to kick it off now the next movie we would sit Well every, oh. hold on
1: i do want to talk about some of the just real quick the quotable stuff and a lot of it involves norm macdonald's character the way that they get billy to feel better is they light flaming bags of poo on <laughs> ground and one of my favorite lines i won't say the bad word but <laughs> they go up and you know, they have a flaming bag and they're like, we're going to put this flaming bag of blank on old man Clemens yard. And they're, oh yeah, old man Clemens hates blank. And (laughs) Adam Sandler says, he's going to blank when he realizes it's blank and people can fill it in. But after they do that and old man Clemens stops it out, Norm MacDonald says, this is the greatest night of my life. (laughs) Or when they're just sitting out getting all wasted and Norm MacDonald says to, or Adam Sandler says to Norm MacDonald's character, what day is it? And he just kind of, Drunkenly says October, and that's Adam Sandler's, you know, it's Nudie Magazine Day, or even at the end when he starts making out with the creepy lunch lady in the movie. It's just so memorable. Just I, everything about that movie I love so much. And a lot of it does have to do with the interaction between Norm MacDonald and, and, and Adam Sandler.
0: Well, keeping with the same kind of stunted man child that we enjoy so much, but upping the prestige by a whole lot, you bring in Joel and Ethan Cohen to direct The Big Lebowski in 1998. Mm -hmm. Now, or they released it in 1998. This is one of those roles that Jeff Bridges forever tied to, no matter what. And I, I don't think, I think he's perfectly fine with that. This is the movie, I know I've talked about this before, The Big Lebowski was the movie the Coen brothers had after Fargo. So Uh the Coen brothers were always kind of respected, but they were deemed a little quirky and stuff like that. Before Fargo, you had things like Raising Arizona. I think Miller's Crossing was before Fargo. Uh, What, Hudsucker Proxy, Hmm. uh, What not Naked Lunch, uh, Barton Fink.
1: Martin Fink, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they do Fargo. It puts them into this elite category. And then they come out with the Big Lebowski, which wasn't as well received. But I would argue, Ty, that that is probably the most well known Coen (laughs) Brothers movie.
1: Yeah. It's the first. It it was my. The the reason why I put this one on here on this list are like, you know, it was my me curating it is it's the first Coen Brothers movie I saw. And it's one of the first movies where I remember watching it. Again, 1998, I was 16. I remember watching it and being like, oh, weird movies can be fun. And this is like a fun mystery crime drama. And you mentioned Jeff Bridges. He is forever going to be the dude. I fully agree with you on that. And as you said, I think he's fine with that. But Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing in the movie. Again, Steve Buscemi in a very small role. Amazing in this movie. Tara Reid, who's barely in the movie, is in the movie. And she does a good job with what she does. Julianne Moore, David Thewlis playing her roommate is one of the creepiest and weirdest guys I've ever seen in, on film before, but what makes this movie for me is is John Goodman's character. Again, I talk about movies that are quotable, endlessly quotable or stuff that I remember. I remember pretty much everything John Goodman did in that movie. Where he yells at the guy for going over the line and pulls out his pistol. He talks about John Turturro's character, Jesus and all the stuff that he did to the dude which is a incredibly memorable scene. You know, he puts the dirty undies in the bag when they're going to make the swap. Calmer than you are is something I say to you and anybody <laughs> else in our family all the time when we get into fights. So Jeff Bridges deserves all the credit because he is the star. He is the big Lebowski in this movie. But for me, really, it's it's John Goodman's performance. And if anything at all, the whole scene where they have to, spoiler alert for a movie that's been out for almost 30 years, I think 30 years now, actually, When they have to spread Donnie's ashes, Steve Buscemi's character, and that speech he gives, and then to dump the ashes and have them blow right back into the dude's face. That scene is, to me, a masterpiece in quiet comedy.
0: Oh, it absolutely is. It it is (laughs) one of the funniest things I've ever seen. and Even to the point of... I'll watch like serious movies or something like that Well, you'll you'll see somebody bringing ashes down to like a riverbank or something to go spread them. And no matter how serious the movie is, I'll always laugh a little bit because I'm just imagining <laughs> them blowing them back in their faces.
1: Well, and Jeff Bridges plays it so well by just sitting there and let them all hit him in the face. And then John Goodman, all flustered, is trying to like brush it off of him. And it, it's hilarious.
0: To continue on, because again, there's the only way we're going to really be, there's going to be a lot of stunted man children in this film festival. (laughs) I don't even, I think it's hard to really say stunted man child, but uh, another movie that you picked, but I would definitely agree with, it's another movie showed my son, it's who he decided to be for Halloween last year. Great costume, by the way. (laughs) And that's Napoleon Dynamite.
1: This movie is probably my favorite movie of all time. Uh, And what Napoleon Dynamite did for me as a fan of movies is I was really, really getting into independent movies. When we used to live together, you'd call me Pierre, and that's when the whole clothes and fedoras thing started for me. But I was really into independent movies. And when I heard about this Napoleon Dynamite movie with actors I had never heard of before, I had no idea who any of these people were. I know that the girl who plays Deb was in Waterworld, but I couldn't have told you her name. I can't tell you her name at this time. I immediately was attracted to this movie. I really wanted to see what they could do with such a low budget with people who weren't household names. It is, to me, the most perfect comedy about going to high school in that era of time. It is the definition of what high school was like. John Heater is, dare I say, transcendent as Napoleon Dynamite. Efren Ramirez as Pedro is is incredible. The guy who played his brother, Kip, I don't think he's ever done anything outside of Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite. He was amazing in that Lafonda, uh, their their grandma who they live with, uh, the guy who was on Lost, their uncle. So hold on, come- you know
0: their grandmother. Do you know what other famous role she has?
1: Isn't she Max mom? Yes, she on is always sunny. Okay, yes, that's what is. I thought. But what this movie showed me is that you can do a whole lot with a whole little. There's no cursing in this movie. There's no sexual situations or suggestions like there's hardly this is a movie that I will show my son as well when he's on spring break because I want him to see the stuff that I love. But I love this movie so much. I saw it six times in the theater and I believe I dragged you to at either two or three of those times that I went to see it. But I wanted to throw my money at this movie because what Jared and Jerusha Hess and John Heater did is. Nothing short of amazing to me. It is truly making something incredible on a shoestring budget. And then they've gotten to make whatever they've wanted to since then. Now it hasn't been as good as Napoleon Dynamite, which is okay because they made something that I will remember and a lot of people my age will remember for the rest of our lives.
0: Yeah, Napoleon Dynamite is truly everybody talks about these movies that kind of come out of nowhere. And the only other movie I could really compare to Napoleon Dynamite in that how, you know, I mean, to use this word, but how fresh it is, is a yeah. movie like Clerks. There was just totally. nothing else like it made by, yeah, you know, Napoleon Dynamite had a little bit more professional sheen behind it, but mm-hmm. still there's, I almost, to the point I've told somebody one time, it's like a, it's a plotless movie. It's almost like, you know, Seinfeld. It's really about nothing. It's just yeah. a kind of a, a day in the life or a week in the life or whatever it may be. And it works. It somehow works perfectly. It's not even, I don't want to say it's like Andy Kaufman-esque humor. It's not uh. even that. It's, But I, I think part of it is the the kind of weird awkwardness everybody could have related to. Mm-hmm. And nobody was quite like Napoleon Dynamite, but we were all a little bit like him.
1: For my taste, yeah, probably the coolest opening credits sequence with the White Stripes song, We're Going to Be Friends playing, and they just have a bunch of food from the cafeteria spelling out the people who are involved with the movie. And of course, we'd be remiss not to mention the dance scene with the moon oh, boots, God, which God. is where I assume your son got his costume idea for that. That is a that That scene needs, whenever TV shows or AFI shows their classic movie scenes, that better damn well be in there for the rest of time.
0: I almost—I had this divided up into the beginning. The first three were the the stunted man child, but I think I could <laughs> obviously put that with the fourth one here. It, it's nothing. I don't think I would have thought off the top of my head because—and I'm going to tell you why. But I understand why you have it in here. I'm thinking to myself, okay, what kind of movies am I going to show people? that I think define us. And for a while I had uh, like a Christopher Guest documentary or something on there, but I I couldn't really settle on one. I mean, something like Waiting for Guffman really kind of centers on me. Um, And then I I thought about something like movies like Airplane, Airplane 2, the Kentucky Fried movie. There was the Hot Shots movies. But you you selected Austin Powers and Mm -hmm. it made me think. Now, first off, I remember I don't, think austin powers was supposed to be that big of a deal i mean Mm -hmm. i don't think mike myers had done shrek yet this movie came out in 1997 it's really a so over the top impersonation but and before i give it to you a couple things i want to say the first the first thing is it's over the top for a reason it works Mm -hmm. so well i mean he's the clown in the whole thing but everybody else really, really buys in to just parodying these James Bond things, the shark with the lasers. And I'm not just talking about Mike Myers as Austin Powers. I'm also talking about as Dr. Evil. But mm-hmm. there's some really good actors in this movie. And Absolutely. I recommend to everybody, this goes back to the days of DVD, Austin Powers was one of the first DVDs I got that had the extra scenes in it. And they are so – they make the movie, which I think is a good movie already, make it better. Because what they do, the extra scenes is every time one of Dr. Evil's guys die, it cuts to somebody. Like one of them, the dude got run over by a uh, by like a, a – A paver, a yeah, slow-moving paver. Right, yeah. right, a paver. And then the next scene, you see some woman at home with her son helping with homework and the phone rings. She's like, well, yes, my husband does work for Dr. Evil. <laughs> he what? Oh, or they had another one where Rob Lowe is at like a bachelor party with a bunch of people and they're like, man, this is for Frank. Frank and he gets a call and he's like, well, yeah, Frank does work for Dr. Evil. What happened to him? It's just the absurdity of all that stuff I think is absolutely great. But go ahead. Why'd you pick it?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, for me and I've seen Airplane and Hot Shots and The Naked Gun, which is what my wife mentioned. But for me, Austin Powers was my gateway to parody movies. And I've watched James Bond in and out. I'm not a fan. I couldn't tell you who played James Bond at this certain time or whatever. I, I don't really watch them. I, I think I've only seen maybe like three or four in my lifetime. But what Austin Powers did was made it accessible to somebody like me and made it fun to make fun of and to goof on because that's what they do so well in this movie. And that's what Mike Myers does so well. And There have been plenty of others. I I would be lying if I didn't say I thought about putting not another teen movie in this spot, but Austin Mm. Powers does it better. And I understand that Airplane and Hot Shots and Naked Gun and Kentucky Fried Movie, all those movies I love, they all came before. But really, for me, I saw Austin Powers first, and that was me being like, oh, parody movies can work if they're done by the right people. And you could tell Mike Myers was Totally invested in this. He put his all into it, and when Mike Myers really tries, he's a really good actor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like when he puts his all into something, I'm actually really excited about his new show that that miniseries that he has coming out on Netflix because it looks like it's something he's worked on hard. But what he did with Austin Powers was created a endlessly memorable character, an endlessly quotable. Not just one movie, but three movies. And say what you will about member I enjoy it. It's mm-hmm. one of the hardest I've ever seen our father laugh at a movie. Those movies are quotable. The character's memorable. And not just Austin Powers, Dr. Evil, number two, Will Ferrell with the fez on his head. Everybody is memorable. And to go from Elizabeth Hurley to to Heather Graham to Beyonce, you got three of these great, strong female leads that he added to this movie, which a lot of people weren't doing back then. No. And I understand that Elizabeth Hurley and, and Heather Graham and Beyonce were there for their looks, but they also were as strong as him, if not stronger and smarter than him. And I just, Austin Powers Prove to me that parody movies do work
0: yeah and I, like I said I go back to the Christopher Guest stuff and it's it's over it's all over the top it's great it is mm-hmm. this is over the top, but in a way it is it's taken like really serious and mm-hmm. you, and the laughs you're absolutely right they're, they're funny as hell but yeah so as we end off this uh, first day or so and we want everybody to go to bed feeling good and knowing that at the end of the day we don't just like a, a bunch of immature dudes doing immature stuff (laughs) that we are insanely cool people we're gonna end off with a a movie that i mean god i've probably seen this movie more than 10 times if i'm sitting there bored sometime i'm like oh i'll pop this movie on if you want to learn how to make movies i think this is like the perfect way to do it it's a small cast it's very tight It's well done. It sounds epically cool. I like other things this director's done, but this is far and away the best one, and that's the Ryan Gosling vehicle drive.
1: When you told me about this idea, I really poured over this stuff, and I like noir movies, and this was like the 21st century's first truly good noir, in my opinion, was drive. And it is dark and brooding, and Ryan Gosling is absolutely incredible. I believe he's credited as the driver in the mm-hmm. movie, like that's his name. This is a perfect role for Ryan Gosling because all he really has to do is look good, which is easy for him, but also he does get to kind of stretch his acting chops and he's a good actor. But you mentioned small casts. Oscar Isaac <laughs> is in the movie. Carrie Mulligan plays his wife, who in turn plays, you know, Ryan Gosling's love interest. Christina Hendricks is in the movie and Albert Brooks, from what I remember. I know there's other people. I believe Brian Cranston has a smaller role mm-hmm. in it too, but Albert Brooks is... Bad guy in this movie. It's, it's so insane to see Hank Scorpio play play a bad guy and to play a as vicious a bad guy as he is. But what I love about this movie, you know, I saw it in the theaters because everybody was talking about it. I've talked about it before on this podcast. It made me audibly gasp when Christina Hendricks gets exploded by a shotgun I'm walking out of an elevator. I audibly gasped in the theater. It's a movie I thought about constantly after I saw it. It's a movie I've seen dozens of times. The soundtrack is so awesome like i highly recommend people check out the soundtrack but the movie oh i've got
0: it on vinyl oh, super cool <laughs> i start calling you pierre
1: um but no the movie it, it, for lack of a better term just like you said it's just cool it's like the coolest movie i think i've ever seen and so much so that my wife's cousin has the jacket that ryan gosling worn that he has a replica of it and he looks cool as hell when he wears that jacket and we're not my wife and I are not cool people, as I'm sure you can tell from listening to this podcast, but that's just drive, like, re- re-energize re me for noir movies, and it's just, it's, it's such a cool movie to watch.
0: Well, I think the one thing that people are going to take away after the first day here is we're definitely dudes where (laughs) you know dudes that like a a certain type of thing the first day was filled obviously with tons of laughs but like I said I want to end it on this just super uber cool thing because the second day we're going to get a little bit more personal on a few of these things and then like I said I'm going to toss a bunch of movies at you and I'm going to make you choose the final film of our festival sounds good Hello, all this is RD, and I want to take a minute here just to talk to you about how you can support this great podcast, the Ex Millennial Man podcast, all the work we do on Seedsing.com, and especially all the hard work that Ty does bringing you the sports knowledge and the pop culture knowledge that you just so deeply want, and how you can support me bringing you all the political knowledge that you definitely do not want. We have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com and look up the X millennial Man podcast. And for just five bucks a month, guys, you are going to continue to be able to give you all this great content, give you the things that we are also craving that we know we need. And then in addition to that, we're going to be launching a Patreon-only podcast called the X millennial Man Political Report, where we're going to go through kind of more of a deep dive on my personal thoughts and other people's thoughts on what's going on politically around our country. That way we can keep the X millennial Man man as your place where you're going to go to find out all the most important things guys we created this tie and i did because me being from generation x and he being a millennial honestly i was tired of hearing about citizen kane's the greatest movie ever it's a good movie don't get me wrong but we got kind of got tired of wait nothing since citizen kane can be better i mean come on back to the future is way better to some of us fast and the furious movies are way better this is a place where we can talk about that stuff and where you're going to get that, again, not opinion, true fact of what is the greatest ever when it comes to music, sports, politics, all that stuff is Seedsing.com and the X millennial Man podcast. So come on over to Patreon. Five bucks a month is all it is. And, hey, if there's something more you need from that, come hit us up. Tell us. You need T-shirts? We can give you T-shirts. You need handshakes? Maybe we can give you that. But come on over to Patreon, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, and now I'm going to get you back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, everybody's back saying, you know, these guys, they're they're immature, but at least they have a little bit of style. So what are they going to give us on the second day? Well, today we're going to get really, really personal, and we're going to start the day with this film. Meet Scotty Smalls.
1: 8, L, 7, winning My life is over. Man, this is baseball. You got to stop thinking. just have fun.
0: I heard somebody say, I don't know if it's a line from the movie or somebody said when they talked about the sandlot. At one time when you're a kid, you and your friends are going to have one last day. You were all playing outside together and you're not going to know that was the end. Mm -hmm. That's what the sandlot is to me. It's a photo, even though it's got this kind of like retro feel, something more like, you know, when our parents were growing up or something like that. But it is. It's this timeless, another movie you've shown my son, this timeless universal thing that no matter how old you are, like, I think this movie is more for adults than I actually do for kids. Because it's this memory of this is the last time you and your friends were all out together, but it wasn't sad because you didn't know it was the last time. You picked this for obvious reasons, so I'm going to let you go.
1: Yeah, first and foremost, I want to take exception to that preview because it makes it sound like a goofy, like feel-good family-type movie. Mm -hmm. It's not that. You're 100% right. This is about boys playing baseball. And being a boy, that's what I did growing up. I played baseball. I live in St. Louis. This is as much as hockey people say, oh, no, we're a hockey town. St. Louis is a baseball
0: town. Mm
1: -hmm. And I grew up playing Sandlot baseball, With my friends, getting together during the summertime and literally playing baseball all day long. This movie is incredibly personal to me because I felt like I was one of those kids. I don't know what the right word is. I I felt the most like the great Hambino, Hamilton in the movie. He was the chubby kid. He was the catcher. That was me. That was me growing up as a kid, and I felt that way. And everybody in this movie, every character in this movie on this baseball team, I had a teammate. Are a friend who is exactly like this kid and you're right the movie takes place I want to say in like the 50s or 60s and it's retro feel or whatever but honestly the older I've gotten the more I've grown to love the movie I saw the movie in the theaters when it came out our dad took me out of school took me to the theaters to see it it was a big deal that he was taking me out of school so right off the bat I had this you know love for this movie because my our, our dad wanted to see it so bad but as I've gotten older I understand it. I appreciate it more. I actually kind of, now that I'm older, when I was a kid, it was all about Hamilton. Now that I'm older, I kind of see it through Dennis Leary's lens. Mm -hmm. And he's the stepdad of the main kid in the movie. You know, he's trying to teach his son how to play. And the adult version of the kid who played Benny the Jet Rodriguez is not good. But Benny the Jet Rodriguez, you know, we talked about driving the first half. He, In my eyes as a kid, he was the coolest because he was the best baseball player on the team. This movie is just, it's incredibly personal to me. This movie reminded me of my childhood when I was a kid. Just like you said, I wish I had known, you know, the last time I was going to play Sandlot baseball or pick up basketball or whatever sport you want to throw in there with your friends, because those were, my life is very good. I have a great life. Those were some of the best times of my life was just playing sports with my friends with no scoreboard, nothing around us, you know, to like take stats or anything like that. And That's one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when, you know, the ragtag quote unquote bad news bears bunch of these kids, the Sandlot kids play the team with the nice spiff uniforms and they go play them at their nice fancy field. Essentially the poor kids versus the rich kids and the poor kids smoke them because they're so much better at baseball than those kids are. And this movie just, it's so special to me and I love this movie so much. It's probably my favorite sports movie of all time. It's, it's an incredible, incredible movie. I
0: actually don't think there's a lot of good sports movies out there. Sports movies are riddled with cliches and all this other stuff. If I had to say like greatest sports movie, it's not a question in my mind because it's about why baseball's great. It's about why mm-hmm. the sport itself is great. As we move from that and then we go to, I mean, look, if I was going to do any film festival, this is the movie I have to put on because, and I honestly believe this, this isn't being facetious. I think this is the greatest movie of all time. I know people talk about The Godfather. I know people talk about Citizen Kane. This is a movie I revisit at least once a year. I think about all the time. It's Back to the Future. Now,
1: you love that movie. I like it too.
0: Yeah. But. Now, and I'm going to this is going to be kind of like my double feature. You just get the Sandlot, then I do this double feature. But I okay. start with Back to the Future because I do. I think it's perfect and I go back to this idea of the Sandlot That it captures this moment. Back to the Future will always, for me, capture this moment of time because this like weird Reagan type of nostalgia 80s where everything's great. Where Back to the Future still is timeless for me, it doesn't look at that time as something incredibly awesome. Marty's family sucks. Yeah, the beginning of that movie. And he's hanging out with a a certified crackpot. I mean, his life (laughs) itself isn't that great by any means. The DeLorean is one of the dumbest automobiles ever to be invented. Doc Brown is a terrorist. He is selling nuclear materials to other terrorists. It's it's, So this movie isn't like this weird innocence that it is. And I like the fact that in the 80s, I have these things like Leave It to Beaver or even I Love Lucy or all this other stuff. And no offense towards our mother or anybody that likes that stuff, but kind of portrayed the the 50s as this golden era. Everybody's great. But Marty goes back and his mother is a a woman who has needs. Mm -hmm. His father is... Peeping on women in windows because he's a horny dude. I mean, this is—it is not this kind of rose-colored lens. It's this idea that look, kids are going to be horny no matter what era it is. There's going to be weirdness and just the movie itself—it's action-packed. That last scene where the 1950s Doc is trying to get the the lightning bolt and Mm -hmm. everything—it's great. I just—I think it's the most perfect movie ever made.
1: Yeah, I like this movie a lot. It doesn't hold the same place in my heart as it does for you. But I never thought of it through that lens that you just put it through. It's just funny to me, you know, being older now. And I would love to have been in the room when they pitched that with like, okay, this high school kid's gonna hang out with this crazy scientist and they're gonna go back in time. But no, it's and it's one of these movies that it's, I never get bored watching it. When it's on TV. I'm like, Oh, sweet, Back to the Future is on like, I won't. Personally, I won't seek it out to watch it, but when it's on, I'm not like, oh, let's change the channel. It is a movie I will sit down and watch, and it makes me appreciate how great Michael J. Fox was Mm -hmm. as an actor.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, what was his name? Um, God, I can't think of his name right now. They wanted Michael J. Fox. They couldn't have him. They filmed the movie. Eric Stoltz? Yeah, Eric Stoltz. They filmed the movie, and they were like, nope, we got to get Michael J. Fox. And and there's everything wrong with this movie. I mean, there are so many ways this movie should have failed and it's strange yeah. it's weird when I talk about the wild card I'm going to talk about another movie around that same time that I considered Ty after I show that and I do the uh, you know the Cubby Kulik double header next movie everybody's going to get is this Prince in his first motion picture before he created the music he lived Every bit of it. So, of course, I'm talking about the immortal Purple Rain. Mm -hmm. This movie's not good. Okay, I'm uh, (laughs) hold on, (laughs) hold on. But it is incredibly entertaining. It is so enjoyable to watch, but the drama is so overwrought. Morris Day and his buddy throw a woman in a trash can at one time during the course of this movie. I, I mean, God, again, rest in peace. But Prince, I just so, so much adore Prince. But my God, the dude is, is a much better saner. But man, I know this movie takes me back to the days of VCRs, takes me back when I... Got my quote unquote new record player a few years ago. The very first record my wife got me was the soundtrack to Purple Rain. It is a shame. Thank God for James Gunn still making soundtracks for movies. It's a shame we don't do that anymore because it is awesome. And it just makes me think at the end of the day, this is you know, he it's in Minnesota, that's where I was born. Uh-huh. I, I just there's so much I love about Purple Rain. It's such a dated movie. But and like I said, when the the whole drama of the mother and father and all that stuff, but my God, I, I, I still will sit there and give myself fully to this movie.
1: My dirty little secret or whatever is I've never seen this movie from start to finish. <sighs> I've only seen chunks of it. You mentioned Morris Day, and I know after the drama with the mother and father, Morris Day kind of makes a joke, like, oh, how's your dad? But then he feels bad about it.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's such a so badly acted scene, but I still love it so much.
1: I also feel like Morris Day is like a thanos lever villain in that movie with the way he's treated. Of course, like any... Young boy or whatever. I watched the cleanse yourself in the baths of Lake Minnetonka <laughs> scene with Apollonia, so I know that scene. But I've actually I've never seen the movie, but I do know probably from you and just from listening now through this pandemic. I pretty I know all the songs from the soundtrack of Purple Rain and Let's Go Crazy that played during the preview is that's such a good song, mm-hmm. like such a good Prince. Prince was such an incredible musician.
0: Yeah. Freaking stupid Sacklers and Purdue Pharma and all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Too young. I also never saw the quote unquote sequel to that movie. Oh, that but don't I've heard people talk about it before.
0: Yeah. Don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's better left not known. Okay, okay. So the real thing that got me thinking about this, and like I said, I think uh, back to the future is a perfect movie but I think the best, we were talking a little bit off mic about this, I think the best movie of our lifetime that would perfectly define what our style is, what our taste is, going back to things being cool. And this would be the last movie of our festival, but I have want to have a discussion about that. But Mad mm-hmm. Max Fury Road. Now, I was never a huge Mad Max fan. I think the first movie... Is enjoyable. It's as you know. You want to talk about grimy, dirty 1970s type thing. I think The Road Warrior is a good movie. I've always enjoyed The Road Warrior. I think Beyond Thunderdome is kind of over the top, schmaltzy crap. Never really thought much about Mad Max, and that I absolutely needed another Mad Max movie. Sure. I've I've heard for years. You know, George Miller is a very well. Which I didn't know this beforehand. George Miller was a physician before he was oh, a director. I not know that. Yeah. Wow. So. You know, here's a guy that made these movies, and then he made the movie Babe. And then he made the movie Babe Pig in the City, which, if you know George Miller, Babe Pig in the City makes sense. That movie is messed up. Then he made the movie Happy Feet. Oh, really? As, yes. And as a matter of fact, he was making Happy Feet 2 at the same time he was making Fury Road. <laughs> wow. Now. <laughs> I need to tell people, not, the movie itself, I think, is absolutely great. Like you said, we were talking off mic about how the movie starts off just heart-pounding, and then it takes a 10-minute break after the big storm, and then it's heart-pounding, then it takes a 10-minute break when they pick up the other women, and then it's just, I mean, just propulsive and cool-looking and everything about it. But I think the more I learn about Fury Road, the more I just adore this movie. There's a book that recently came out called uh, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, The Wild and True Story of Mad Max Fury Road. It's one of these like oral history type books. I think it was the guy who writes for the New York Times wrote it. George Miller had been trying to make this movie since the 1980s. Really? This movie doesn't really have a script. It's all storyboards. He drew out this entire movie. It's made a lot of news lately because a lot of people are talking about how much Charlie's Theron and uh, Tom Hardy hated each other. But there's Mm -hmm. like a story. In this book about how Charlie's Theron got in, you know, all makeup, costume, everything like that, goes to sit in the war rig. They're shooting out in the middle of the desert. And Tom Hardy did not come out of his trailer for two hours.
1: What? And she
0: and she sat there the entire time, just seething. And the crew and everybody's like, Come on out, Charlies, come on. And she would not do it. And the moment she came out, it was one of these scenes where her and Mad Max are fighting. And you watch this movie now, you know these stories. You can tell she freaking hates. Tom Hardy (laughs) with a fiery passion. And even another cool story in there is the whole, the, the, the doof warrior, the dude with the guitar. Yeah. So George Miller has in his head that this dude is like a drummer boy during the, you know, old time war days, they would, or a trumpeter or something, that he would come out there and have this crazy guitar and the, the props people made. He's like, I wanted to shoot fire. So they made this basically flamethrower. And then George Miller said, well, how does it play as a guitar? And they're like, well, do you need it to play? He's like, (laughs) yes, it needs to be a guitar. So they had to go back and rebuild it. And also like the cars, they just brought a junk heap in and they made people build their own stuff. And the the story of the movie, like I said, is amazing. It should have never worked. And holy crap, did it work as well as anything ever has.
1: Fury Road was a movie that I wouldn't say like when it first came out, I wanted to see it. And then our brother Seth talked about it endlessly. And he just kept telling me, you have to see it, you have to see it. So- I took Our Father to see it, and I'm a big fan. I told you this off mic, too. I'm a big fan of the Safety brothers. I like their movies, and everybody says, oh, they make the most anxiety-inducing movies. And I agree their movies are, but it's nothing compared to what Fury Road is. <laughs> I just saw The Batman the day before we recorded this. I just, I just went and saw the new The Batman movie, and I sat on the edge of my seat for a couple <laughs> scenes of that. For Fury Road, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like you said, you know, there's 10 minutes to calm down, but even... In those quote unquote calm down scenes, I was still on the edge of my seat, waiting to see what was going to happen, waiting to see where they were going to go next in this wild movie. And Nicholas Holt as, you know, one of the war boys, he was fantastic. And Zoe Kravitz and all the uh, milkmaids or whatever, I, I don't remember exactly what they were called, but all the ladies did a fantastic job in that movie. Tom Hardy, I thought was a good choice for Max, but that movie truly is Furiosa's movie, in oh, my yeah. opinion, and she should be, I, I I believe they're making like a series or maybe they're making another movie with they her. They are,
0: they're making a, a prequel movie, yeah.
1: Okay, but she, Charlize Theron, what she did with that character and how she played that character, it was incredible. It might be the most badass character I've seen in movies outside of superhero movie stuff. Fury Road, it's like you said, there isn't a flaw in that movie. Uh, you know, going back and looking at critics reviews, I'm shocked it's not at 100% oh, no. on Rotten Tomatoes oh, no. <laughs> because it is honestly, there. like you said, you read the book behind the scenes. I don't know much of the behind the scenes stuff besides the fact that Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron did not get along. It is probably the most perfect movie I have ever seen in my lifetime.
0: The soundtrack's great, the editing's perfect. The it is it it makes me so angry that George Miller did not get I don't care it didn't win Best Picture, fine, whatever, stupid Oscars, yeah. but he didn't get a directing Oscar yeah. for it. I mean he was nominated, but and I go back to how there wasn't really a script for this movie. It was all it was all images he had in his head for decades. When they were finally making the movie, and what they did with, uh, with the wives, the women, they brought in a Eve Ensler, who she's the woman who wrote the Vagina Monologues, okay. to sit with these women and talk with them about sex slavery and all this stuff. And really I mean, it was a movie where everybody talks about, you know somebody like Daniel Day Lewis like really getting into his character. George Miller made these people live this world. Yeah. <laughs> and find everything that that was going on. And you read it too, and like everybody talks about the guy he's passed away, I know something, but the guy that played a and Joe was like everybody's yeah. favorite uncle. He was the nicest guy uh, on set. Everybody adored him, which <laughs> made it like so much more shocking when they were doing the movie on how much they had to hate him and fear him. And yeah. it's it's just uh it's such a such a great, great movie. <laughs>
1: Imagery Uh, cinematography, all that stuff. It's second to none. It's just, it's, it's a perfect movie.
0: So, Ty, I'm going to give you a list here of movies that I put down, and I'm just going to say, okay. And I have a feeling where you're going to go, but I want to give a quick explanation and get your thought on how we should absolutely close this film festival.
1: We should we should close it with Fury Road. But...
0: Well, we, we probably <laughs> will. This would probably be the movie before it. Okay. A, a couple of movies I thought I, I thought of. So, one of them was the movie Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. I brought that one up because I thought, like, Back to the Future, this just very different, weird kind of movie ghostbusters captured some captured an idea an original idea uh captured actors at a time that were just hitting their a game it used it's one of those movies that not a scene is wasted not a single person is wasted in that movie another movie i thought of was raiders of the lost ark which is i think just the best adventure movie ever made movie that is unfortunately chasing its own tail i mean i know people like the other movies well not the last latest one and there's a new one coming out next summer but yep. again just this pure utter easy adventure Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was another one I thought of another kind of goofy dumb movie that shouldn't work it's I think Keanu's great I think Keanu's uh, great in um, in the John Wick movies oh for sure <laughs> Spider-Man 2 I, we watched that actually the other day and I was telling my wife that I feel like nobody Like, Spider-Man 2, it's well-remembered. It's a great movie for a lot of reasons, namely Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus, but Mm -hmm. it's the only superhero movie, like, I even thought of the Spider-Verse for a moment, but it's the only superhero movie where it shows you how much it sucks to be a superhero. I mean...
1: Uh, Logan, also.
0: Well, but that's near the end. That's at the end. This is... I mean, and the X-Men movies always kind of had that, too, but... I, something that always bothered me about the Tom Holland Spider-Man is, oh, he's good buddies with Tony Stark. Oh, he's an adventurer. He's this. Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, his life was terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But this is the one, and again, you tell me what you thought. The one I thought if we had to tell people, look, what's the ex-millennial man all about? It's Southland Tales. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that uh, that movie is... Alright, so... I would go into an explanation of the plot right now, but I still don't know what that <laughs> movie is about. So I'll just give our listeners a little peek of how I learned about this movie. I was just I just started dating my wife. We were maybe a month or two into our relationship, and her mom went out of town and took my wife with her and said, "Hey, can you watch our house for us? We, we have two little dogs. We need somebody to watch the house for us." So I'm like, "Yeah, sure." I get a phone call from you saying, yo, you got to check out this movie called Southland Tales. It's got Dwayne Johnson and Justin Timberlake and, and Stifler, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Ch-. like you were naming all these people that I really, really like, all these people in this movie. And you said, oh, it's by Richard Kelly, the guy who directed Donnie Darko. I'm like, fantastic. I watched this movie. I rented it, watched all two and a half hours of it, had no idea what I had seen. And then I went over to a neighbor's house of ours who the father has unfortunately passed away since, but he was big into movies. I said to him, Hey, have you seen this movie Southland tales? And he went, him and I talked about it. He went into a 30 minute dialogue with me about this movie. We talked about the movie for an hour. And when we got done, neither of us knew what it was about. I recently watched this French movie Teton that people talk about. It won the Palm door, Palm door at, at Cannes last year. And that's a movie I haven't, I, I've finally gotten to push it out of my head. And like I said, I just saw the Batman and I'm thinking about it, but that's already starting to leave my head. Southland Tales has never left my head. I sit there and I still think about what that movie is and what that movie did. How personally, I think it's Dwayne Johnson's best performance in a movie. But this is a truly a movie of a guy who was given too much too soon Because he made such a good movie. I actually just watched Donnie Darko the other day. It was on cable. So he did this really good movie that really grabbed people. And they said, okay, here's a blank check. You can do with it whatever you want. And Richard Kelly tried. He did everything he wanted to do. He made this movie that really is completely scatterbrained and scattered shot. But it's also a movie. When I see Justin Timberlake and other stuff, I think of his character. When I see Stifler... I think of this movie in Southland Tales. When I see Dwayne Johnson, I think of him in this. When I see Sherry O'Terry, I think of her in this. When I see (laughs) Amy Poehler, I think of her role in this movie. I mean, this is a movie filled with great actors, but it is a movie that makes absolutely no sense, but it's also a movie that I cannot get out of my head.
0: So Southland Tales?
1: Well, I mean, out of those five that you gave me, I'd probably pick Ghostbusters before I'd pick Southland (laughs) Tales, just because of nostalgia factor. But, if I wanted to show somebody a movie that was like, hey, tell me what you think this movie is about, that's the movie I would show them.
0: Let me give the audience a little
1: taste. Tell you the story of the Jeremy down the road not taken. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. These are the sordid of tales of how it all came crashing down. So. <laughs> Justin Timberlake <laughs> has like a big scar in his face, too, in this movie, people. You need to know that going into it.
0: Yeah, so uh, Richard Roper said one of the most confusing, ridiculous, pretentious, and disastrous cinematic train wrecks I've ever seen. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert, rest in peace. A Schwarzeneg- Schwarzeneggerian, I can't say that word, actor, yeah. related to a political dynasty has been kidnapped, replaced with a double, and I give up. A plot synopsis would require that this movie have a plot.
1: <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> um,
0: Jonathan Rosenbaum says, you can't be both political and incoherent. <laughs>
1: That is not wrong.
0: <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is why I would pick Southland Tales.
1: I don't disagree with those yeah. reviewers, but I also think it's a movie worth watching.
0: Right. <laughs> Southland Tales is the most ambitious disaster I have ever seen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There is an absolutely incredible movie in there. All the performers give it their all. The movie looks gorgeous. <laughs> Not only is it Dwayne
1: Johnson's best performance, it's By Ling's best performance, too. <laughs> yeah. And she's not a good actor, but it's her best performance.
0: There's so much with that movie that... And I've, I've seen interviews with Richard Kelly. I've read it. He is... You get this idea that he's just this crazy dude. He's a great... He understands what happened to the movie. Yeah, absolutely. But it, to me... Everything you and I always talk about, we're always trying to, you know, you're always trying to give some love to, even though I make fun of you, but these smaller independent things. We're always trying to Mm -hmm. highlight these people that are out there doing it. Nobody's ever tried so hard and struck out so spectacularly, (laughs) like Southland Tales. And I think it should be celebrated. I think we should always remember it. It is, to me, of our lifetime, the ultimate midnight
1: movie. Yes and no, I agree, (laughs) because I think The Room is the ultimate midnight movie, but... I do not understand why the Tivoli, which is the local theater out here that does midnight movies, has not done a showing yet. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, with Richard Kelly taking the ultimate strike and missing, it's like, again, for my St. Louis people, it's like when Carlos Beltran stared at that curveball that Wayne Wright threw in the NLCS Game Mm 7, which sent the Cardinals to the World (laughs) Series, and he just looked at a gaping (laughs) curveball right over the middle. That's exactly what Richard Kelly did. He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Oh, I didn't do it.
0: Well... There it is, Ty, our our three hundredth episode, our film festival. You guys are going to thank us as you go through all of this stuff. The Southland Tales may be the longest and, and if but again, if you have never seen it I watched that movie, knew it wasn't good, and made my wife watch it the very next day. <laughs> you <laughs> called me and told me I had to see it. <laughs> I mean, there's some weird movies I've seen lately. Um, Kevin Smith is a pretty recognizable oh dude, and he is unrecognizable <laughs> in that movie. So, I mean, yeah, it's probably better to end with Fury Road because then people won't just, you know, think for nuts. But no, that's it, Ty. So if people need to, once they watch Southland Tales and they need to talk to you about what it's about, where are they going to find you?
1: Please do, because I would like to know what it's about. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K. More importantly, I write for Seedsing, dot com. Like I said, the third time on here, I just saw The Batman. I wrote a review of it. Go check out my review of, that mo- review of that movie. Tell me what you think about that. But yeah, I do the pop culture, the sports writing on there. So check that out. Seedsing, dot com. You can hear me on a couple episodes of Chucklehead Chat. Go check that out. Most importantly, though, you can hear me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Rate, review us, check out our Patreon, all that good stuff. Please, if you haven't yet, get vaccinated. It's easy to do help out with ukraine if you can and as always black lives matter.
0: Yeah, we repeat all that stuff uh seedsaying.com x millennial man and i guess the best thing i can say is you know hopefully when we're on episode 600 we're still not at war in ukraine and having all of the same i like i say with back to the future every every generation kids are horny let's let's hope every generation we don't have to have a new civil rights movement let's get something exactly better, you know, for one's people but uh no that's it it's uh We're recording this a little bit early. It's St. Patrick's Day, the day we're recording this. And even though I'm not Irish for the first time since pre-pandemic, I got to take my son to Skyline because they have green chili. And you have not seen hell until you've seen (laughs) Skyline chili meld with green spaghetti (laughs) or green spaghetti. I mean, yeah. So that's what I get to look forward to.
1: That sounds so much worse than my daughter this morning. It's like, Dad, you need to go buy us green, our Lucky Charms with green in it. So we'll turn our milk green. But green spaghetti sounds way worse uh, and i like skyline uh, really. yeah.
0: so we'll see all right talk to you next time
1: right. take, take it easy <laughs>
0: The X millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSane.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.